Welcome back to the Real Housewives of Hockey, or at least for now. That's still up for debate. Starting us off, we'll have Evan Lee. Hey guys, uh, just a brief uh, rundown of who I am. I'm a Canadian and American, born in Montreal, uh, raised in Jersey, and uh, I am currently a semi-depressed Habs fan. So if you listened to our previous episode, I was a depressed Habs fan. I am a semi-depressed Habs fan because uh, Marty St. Louis is an absolute beauty, and he's made Cole Caulfield what we all hoped he would be. <laughs> we'll get, <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm Stu. Uh, as I mentioned in the, the first episode, I'm a Carleton University journalism graduate and I'm currently at the Centennial College postgraduate sports journalism program. And I have experience reporting uh, on hockey for the, the Carleton men's and women's hockey teams, as well as I interned with uh, the Hockey News way back when. So, Riley, and the reason why I'm here is basically call me the Tinder for making a hockey podcast. I found two people who could swipe right on each other. We found a match, and now we're seeing if we can make it, you know, to first base or something. We'll see. So, bit of an itinerary for today. First thing we're going to get to is going to be we did our own redraft of the, of the Seattle Kraken because I love to hate on the way that Ron Francis did this. And we'll get to why in a little bit. So we each picked our own team, and then we simmed it up to see what some results were. Did it a couple times to make sure we had some good data. And then after we talk about all that nice, juicy stuff, we'll get on to just news of the hockey world, hosted by Stu Davis. That's Miller Davis. Yeah, Miller Davis, sorry. So... Before we get into the whole juicy, lovely sim and the debate of who was the best, that sort of thing, I just wanted to bring to the attention that the Leafs get to do what Tampa did. With uh, Jake Muzzin going to be out until the playoffs, they should definitely use that $6 million cap space to go after a big-name person. Now, I'm going to offer this out there and say... I'm going to name two names, but you guys can also go off, off the map and pick another. But I think the person, the, the, the short list of who the Leafs should go after is JT Miller and Philip Forsberg. So I'm going to go to Evan first on what his take is. Okay. Um, great. So I can, I can pick another, any, any other position, right? I don't have to be exclusively set to forward, or do you, is this confined to just for forwards? Pick whatever. I just thought of people that are apparently on the on the block and around the same cap. Um, I'll give a forward pick, and then I'll give um, a defenseman because I think that I think it makes sense. Because um, because like, generally speaking, the Leafs, if you look at any trade deadline talk every single year, year and year at the last, I would say two, three, maybe four years, Stu probably will agree with me. Like coverage is the Toronto Maple Leafs are looking to add a top six forward. Right, one. The Toronto Maple Leafs are also in the market for some sort of uh, top four defenseman, right? You know, like that. That that's always been in the news cycle the last couple seasons. Um, so, in terms of a forward um, that can really come in and, and play well, I, I think JT Miller is probably a really good pick. Um, seeing kind of his progression of his career, New York to Tampa to Vancouver, um, 
and with some really talented players and like Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, Horvat go down the list. Um, he's been able to produce really well in Vancouver, so I think he could do a similar thing um, in Toronto. And I think arguably Toronto's uh, offensive core is much more dynamic than Vancouver's based on just consistency we've seen. Um, so really good forward pick there. Um, he's on an expiring contract, I believe, this year or next yes. year, right? This year he's expiring, right? Uh, no, he's signed for one more year. Oh, regardless, it's, it's, it's some, it's, some yeah, level of cap certainty, but I believe his cap hit is very fair. It's actually probably value if you can really maximize him with playing with Tavares, Matthews, go down the list, Marner, and Nylander. If you can get him going, scoring at like 70 points or a point a game, that's a success. You're paying him like less than $7 million. I think that's a win there. Um, and then for defense, this is actually probably my favorite defenseman right now in my own head is Jacob Chikrin. I I think that would be kind of fun because if, let's say, Muzzin's out for an extended period of time, you need someone to replace that sort of caliber of player, bring that physical aspect to the Leafs, um, someone that can score goals, something that Muzzin hasn't really been able to do this year because he's had a down year. I think adding that defenseman to the Leafs' blue line would help them. Um, Clearly, he's shown that he could be a good defenseman. He scored 17 goals, I believe, uh, last year with the Arizona Coyotes of all teams. So I think him playing on the Leafs, you would naturally think that he would, you know, probably be able to produce pretty well. So those are my two picks. Uh, Stu, I'll pass it on to you since you're the resident Leaf fan. Can I just get a quick word in first? Sure, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Uh, I'd I like your fit of Jacob Chitron. I just think the acquisition cost would just be massive. Like that would cost Nick Robertson... That would cost like two first round picks, like that sort of thing. And that's just not saying it's not worth it. Just looking at the Leafs, you're, they're trying to build a, like final pieces. You can't throw all of your eggs in that one basket. So that would be my one word with Jacob Chitron. Sure. Um, I'll say one tiny thing to that. The, 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 the reason why, I mean, he's 23 and he has contract certainty. Yeah. You know, for the next three years, at least, I believe. So I think you're also paying for that as well given the fact that the Leafs are in a cap constraint. And he also makes, I believe, less than Jake Muzzin on his current contract. I could be wrong. I think he's in the 4.6 realm um, currently right now. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. Because if you replace Muzzin and everything, so cap-wise, it fits. But yes, I do acknowledge the fact that it is expensive, but I think it's, you know, if it fits and it works well for them, I think it will be, a, a, at the very minimum, a fair deal for them. I think it only makes sense if that's your last trade. If you think I pick up Chitron, we win the cup. Otherwise, you can't you can't put that much assets into it because they won't have assets to like get the other final pieces. You know? No, I I, I totally hear you. Um, mm-hmm. But this is this is me saying it in a relatively unbiased way, even though I'm a Habs fan, right? Like I think the Leafs are have a pretty good team, right? They have good forward depth. Um, their blue line is probably like the main area of concern in my opinion just given form and play of certain defensemen on their team but yeah that's that's why i i, I picked the ch- in there but here i hear what you're saying but i, I definitely want to hear what Stu has to say yeah i think like chitrin as as you said makes a lot of sense fit wise and i just pulled up his cap friendly page he makes Four point six million dollars until twenty twenty four twenty five, so that's a decent contract on a guy that has scored twenty goals as a 
defenseman in the NHL for a very poor Arizona club. Mm-hmm. Um, I I also like the the GT Miller fit, and I heard somebody saying on a a podcast the other day. The last like three four years, the Leafs have gone into the playoffs, and people have said, "Get a defenseman, get a defenseman, get a defenseman," and the Leafs have got some defensemen, and then they've also added forwards that don't score. What they need is forward. They don't score in the playoffs. They haven't been scoring in the playoffs. The Leafs need a forward who's going to score in the playoffs for them, and I think JT Miller does that fairly well. Like, unless you're bringing back Phil Kessel, I don't know who else is really on the market that scores better. Um, Philip Forsberg. Philip Forsberg, but is he really on the market? Completely. Uh, there was an insider for them. I forget which name. It's a Nashville insider reported that they're actively shopping him to know what the value is because their current contract talks aren't going that far. They're in conversation. They think they have some numbers in mind, but he's in his best season on an expiring deal. So they don't want to lose him for nothing. If they get the right mm-hmm. offer, they're going to say yes. And I guess they're not really in a position to go for it with them. They are the top wildcard spot. And pretty, like, locked in there. But if you look at their, their contract situation, they're best off trying to get assets for a guy that may walk and then try to build around the guys they have signed term. Yeah. So... Yeah. I so, agreed. Yeah, so I would say I think the best for the Leaps would be if they're trying to go all in this year, would be Philip Forsberg, because I think he's the best asset, easily the best goal scorer. He's 26 goals in 30-something games. So you're out of this, this regular season, yeah. right? This regular season, yeah. yeah. He's having his best career year. So yeah. he, in 38 games played, he has 26 goals and 44 points. So he's, he's he's like well above a point a game. He's on pace for like 90, 94, 95 points right now. Exactly. I so know. I think adding him into your second line slash your first line that solves your your things dried up because now like your the issue has been marner doesn't score in the playoffs but now like if if they cover marner that means they're leaving william nylander open they're leaving matthews open or philip fours they can't like cover everyone if you pick up another prolific goal scorer i think jt miller would be better defensively but again, I think because of that extra year of term, the acquisition cost is that much more expensive. I think, and it it creates hiccups in what you do the off season with them, um, because the the Leafs have so much cap committed to the big four, the big five. <laughs> yeah, with um, the extension kicking in. The other thing I wanted to say too is with Muzzin hurt and potentially not playing, he's been there probably third or fourth best defenseman, and he hasn't necessarily been himself even. Um, They kind of need to fill his spot until he can come back. Um, Because I don't, like, I don't, I just don't see their top four being strong enough. Um, Like, Sandine can can play in your top four, but I liked liked Sandine Muzzin as the pair to play in your top four 
Which yeah. was why I wondered what if Mark Giordano was kind of a fit. But see, I was gonna say, do you think you could get like a veteran band aid player? So like in my eyes, that'd be like a, a Jacob Middleton, where the acquisition cost is like at most a fifth, but you're getting back a guy who or Justin Braun. Justin Braun. Justin Braun, like something like that, who's defensive minded, will stop goals from going in until the playoffs, and then Jake Muzzin comes back, and now you have depth. Like you just trickle down once you make it to the playoffs. Like you band aid that that spot, and then you solve your real issue. Let me let me mention one defenseman just because you said Justin Braun, you just, just stirred my mind. I've seen rumors of Ben Chirot to Toronto. You want to I've talk about the guy physical in the playoffs? Ben Chirac can do it. He's at $3.5 million. That's his cap. It's expiring this year, I believe. I could be wrong. Let me I'll double check. No, that. he's got he's got term, I do believe. I, I mean, I'll check. I have to say, but, I, I mean, that. oh, he's in his final year this year. Oh, no, final year. Final year, um, But yeah, the, I think that's a terrible yeah. idea because it's expensive contract it means that you can't band-aid that's your pick and then if you're bringing in a forward they have to make three million or less if you're and the acquisition cost is apparently rumored to be a first round pick i don't think a first round pick for a band-aid he's been rumored to be a first like a first round pick since like september Basically, he's a yeah, great player. It's, it's, it's also, also based on like the perception of the most recent run of the Habs. Us going to the Cup final and Ben Chirot being a big part of that, right? And Riley, mm-hmm. you've been extremely complimentary of, of Ben Chirot in the playoff, like playoff Ben Chirot. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, he's one of the best. Like because of how physical you can get away with, like you can get away with those small bumps or interference, like that would be called in the regular season, and that's why he's so good for it. But. Because of his cap hit being pretty high, that ruins any other move the Leafs can make. And the acquisition cost is pretty high. That ruins any other move the Leafs could make. I think he's going to get I, moved to contender. Just I don't think the Leafs should be the team in on him. I'd be afraid as the Leafs to give up like Nick Robertson or probably Matt Nyes as well. Um, just because both of those guys I think could be in the lineup next year. And you're going to need guys in the lineup contributing at rookie contract salary because of what I mentioned before in that the Leafs have all of this money tied up into their that core bunch of players and they're going to have to pay Jack Campbell this summer. All right. Anyone else like want to wrap things up with the, what they have to say about this or move on to the Seattle? Uh, I guess the quick thing about the forwards, like I think what you guys actually said about the contract situation with Forsberg, I think that actually makes a lot of sense. So I'll probably like switch my pick to that in a sense if I had to, just out of realism, right? Like it's it makes a lot of sense. I think the acquisition cost could be less because you don't have that term certainty on on Forsberg, and um, I think he is a, more of a goal scorer to what you guys were saying. I I totally. Um, agree with Stu. Like <laughs> the biggest issue is the fact that the the big core of fours that you have just can't score, and that happens pretty much any team, but especially the Leafs because they're so top heavy in some ways. You know, um, <laughs> bad things happen <laughs> as we've seen. All right, Stu, sure have you good on that or 
Yeah, I'm ready to move on. <laughs> All right. Do you want to start us off, Sue, with uh, who you picked, why you picked them, what was the thought process behind your team? Uh, sure, I can start us off. Uh, so when I was going through my Seattle Kraken uh, picks, I was just sort of thinking, A, players that I can compete with tomorrow, because as we saw in Vegas, if your team is going to be competitive, then like you can really get the fan base going. And I think for an expansion team, that's just so important, because if your fans are interested as an expansion team, especially in a market like where there's other pro sports already, like you've got to grab the you've got to grab the sports fans so that you're not losing your attention, not losing the eyeballs when come when it comes time that baseball and football are overlapping with hockey in Seattle. Uh, and you've got people that are torn between one or the other. And I think that having a having a real fantastic team right off the hop gives you gives you that chance. Uh, so I was going through and sort of picking who I thought would, the best players were, but then also sort of comparing some contracts and fitting in some guys I liked as well. So I started with Sony Milano from Anaheim. I grabbed Michael Bunting at Arizona, Taylor Hall from Boston, Jake McCabe out of Buffalo, Mark Giordano from Calgary, Dougie Hamilton from Carolina, uh, Malcolm Subban, Chicago, uh, Colorado, JC Comfer, uh, Columbus, Gabriel Carlson, Florida, Mark Pissick, or no, Dallas, Mark Pissick, Detroit, Tara Hirose. Wait, sorry, uh, defenseman or forward Mark Pissick? I put forward slash defenseman. Even better. <laughs> uh, Taro Hirose was the guy I took from Detroit, Tyler Benson from Edmonton. Uh, Marcus Ginovara from Florida, Gail Clegg, I uh, stole from uh, Los Angeles, uh, Carson Soucy out of Minnesota. I did the big move and took Carey Price from Montreal after he waived his no movement. Uh, I took Matt, Dush- Matt Duchesne out of Nashville, Andreas Janssen from the Devils, uh, Eberly off the Islanders, uh, Gautier off the Rain, Julian Gautier off the Rangers, uh, Anton Forsberg would have been my Philadelphia pick. No, uh, Ottawa. Uh, Ottawa pick. Yeah. Uh, Nate Prosser was my Philly pick. Uh, Zach Aston Reese my Pittsburgh pick. Radim Shemek my San Jose pick. The Lord Vlad and Savior. <laughs> Vlad Tarasenko San Jose. Or Vlad Tarasenko, San Jose, St. Louis. I wish. Uh, Andre Pallad out of Tampa, Pierre Engvall, Toronto, uh, Travis Boyd, Vancouver, or Washington? I don't remember where he is. It's Vancouver. Yeah, and then Sammy Niku out of Winnipeg. And that was my Seattle team. Awesome. Evan, you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my general philosophy was starting out picking the best who I thought were like the best players. And so it was like 
finding the best cap value to the player value that I that I viewed and making room for like basically being able to ice the most balanced team and kind of did what Vegas did sort of in some capacity. So starting out with like Anaheim, I originally picked Sonny Milano, but I switched it to Derek Grant because more center depth. Um, then from Arizona, I picked Michael Bunting from Boston. Big pick here. I picked Taylor Hall um, from Buffalo. I picked Riley Shahan, good fourth line center. Uh, from Calgary, I picked Oliver Shillington, who's having a really great year this year. Um, although last year we didn't know that, but again, young defenseman with some promise. From the Capitals, I picked Vitek Vanacek. Uh, um, from Carolina, another big pick, We pick, uh, I picked uh, Dougie Hamilton. From Chicago, uh, Nikita Zadorov. I love my big, hard-hitting defenseman. <laughs> from Colorado, I picked uh, Donskoy. From Columbus, Dean Kukin. From Dallas, Andrew Cogliano, because um, who doesn't love speed and a good penalty killer? Uh, from Detroit, Luke Glendening. He can play all four positions, good fourth-line kind of player. From Florida, Ryan Lomberg, another good fourth-line player who's having a pretty good year for Florida. From L.A., Andreas Athanasiu, who has a ton of speed, who can score goals. Uh, from Minnesota, Capo Kakinen. Uh, from Montreal, um, my boy Philip Deneau elite defensive center from nashville mikhail granlin uh from new jersey andreas jansen from the islanders kyle palmieri from the rangers tony d'angelo yes i took the locker room cancer that was tony d'angelo but whatever i wanted to win uh from the oilers tyson berry so uh, riley's just going to argue that i have literally to pick two forwards in place of that are just playing on the blue line uh <laughs> from ottawa ryan dezingle from Philadelphia, Robert Haig, another hard-hitting physical defenseman. Uh, from Pittsburgh, Evan Rodriguez. From San Jose, the Lord and Savior himself, Redeem Shimmick. From St. Louis, uh, one of my personal favorite players, Vladimir Tarasenko. From Tampa Bay, Andre Palat. Toronto, Jared McCann. Vancouver, Travis Boyd. And from Winnipeg, Mason Appleton. Awesome, thank you. So, for my team, I had a big focus on... I didn't think I could pick a cup contending team year one. I didn't think it was possible. So I wanted to pick guys who would sell tickets and other pieces that I thought were I could trade, were liquid. So I also picked some young people to complement that. So I wanted to set my franchise up on the right foot. So to start things off, I took Kevin Shattenkirk from Anaheim. And the thought there is he puts up points. He's not on a crazy expensive contract, not a crazy amount of term. That's a pretty liquid piece that could get moved. I took Michael Bunting because the guy is just a workhorse and makes no money. It's fantastic. Then I took Jake McCabe. Um, Kill Killington, Shillington as well, because again, he's a young defenseman, was making no money, an OFD. Took Dougie Hamilton because the guy's a stud and just puts up points. Adam Gaudette, who I think is just a solid depth forward. Brendan Saad, who... Might be harder on the trade list, but I still think it, you could get some return for him. Max Domi, who I thought either you keep around a bunch of years, he's pretty fun to watch. He's also pretty prolific offensively. He's not on crazy term, not on crazy money, so also tradable. Jamie Alexiak, he's huge. I don't want to go more into that. He's huge. Dennis Chalowski, who, I, again, young defenseman who... I'm a fan of. I know he just got uh, sent down recently, but it's fine. Oscar Clefbaum, again, another piece that 
could be around for a competing team in four or five years. Frankie, if he's ever healthy. If he's ever healthy, yep. Frankie Vitrano, Athanasiu, who's so fast, not overly expensive. Capo Cajonan, who is still on a very cheap contract, backing up Carey Price. Yep, I also took Carey Price, and that's part of the ticket sales. I don't think he's tradable, but I think he'll sell tickets until he retires. Ryan Johansson, I took him because I needed a first-line center. I think, in, in retrospect, I would have taken Matt Duchesne. I had a big coin flip between the two of them. I think I chose poorly. I took Nick Merkley, who I think is deserves to be in the NHL, maybe third line, fourth line kind of guy. Jordan Eberle, who I think is very tradable, puts up points. Julian Goche as well. On that younger side, big frame, really like to see it. Vitaly Abramov, younger guy who hasn't gotten much of a chance in Ottawa. And then I took Samuel Moran, who plays both forward and D. Little known fact. Evan Rodriguez, who's having himself quite the year. Redeem Shimmick, the lord and savior of San Jose, of course. Vladimir Tarasenko, I thought, again, if, I am, if I'm starting my franchise to Tarasenko, either that helps me win, helps me sell tickets, or I trade him and get a big return that sets up my franchise for a long time. And then, you two both messed up on your Tampa pick, because I took an exceptional player. I took Sean Day. <laughs> can't fight exceptional. Oh my God. And then, was of course... It was exceptional. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's an exception? Always an exception. Sure thing, buddy. Uh, then I'm close. the exception of that, though. Sorry? You can't, ta- you can't take it away from him. Exactly. That's true, but I think he's the exception now, given the other list of players that have continued in the NHL, like John Tavares and uh, I believe Aaron Eichblad, too. Those guys are pretty good players in the NHL. And then after that, I took Joe Thornton because I love the man and... As soon as he's done, like as soon as he retires from my team, I'll offer him a job cutting the lawn and pay him minimum wage, and he'll be a happy camper. And then I took Cole Lind because again, another like younger guy that I think could like be a piece that we build around with a mix of the pieces that we traded for. Took Nick Dowd. That was more of a cat move. Need to make sure I was cheap. Nate Thompson, who I like as a like a fourth line center, third line center kind of guy. And then Jacob Forsbackis Carlson. I'm a big fan of out of Boston, but unfortunately for the Sim, he didn't exist in the game. So I had to lose out on him. But in real life, I still like to pick because he's 23, has played well in the AHL, and is on a team in Boston that's trying to compete rather than develop. So maybe he comes over and gives us some of his magic. So, Evan, do you want to talk to us a bit about what happened with the Sim? Or I guess I should say what, what was set up, right? Yeah, go go ahead and maybe give them a bit of context there, and then I'll, I'll jump right in after. Yeah, so we ran 10 isolated sims for each of our teams, where we would set up the rosters so that way the Seattle Kraken started the season uh, with whatever roster we said. We even did some lines. People would, uh, they, uh, Evan and Stuart told me what lines they wanted, what uh, Evan told me the power play, penalty kill he wanted. Stu did not, that was fine. So I let the head coach decide that. And then we ran through the sim. We collected the points leader and the amount of points they had, the points that the team had, the playoff result, the save percentage of the goalies, the power play percentage, and the PK percentage. Just so that way we got a metric of what was going on with the team. Would they have sold tickets? Were they fun? Who, what player was the best out of everyone? Who was the best player for one person? 
got a bunch of fun information out of that. So Evan's going to start us off telling us a bit about what happened. Yeah, so um, based on the uh, track results and, and just also for any, for just maximum clarification for our listeners, uh, we specifically only simmed season one, the first year for each of our teams. We did that 10 times over. Um, just so we got a whole bunch of mixed results for every single one of our, our teams. So I guess just to kind of break it down a bit, um, year to year, uh, I don't know how Riley did this, but he got Dougie Hamilton to produce like an absolute stud. Essentially, Hamilton produced 70 plus point seasons, I believe. I'm counting this right now. Six times, six out of 10 seasons. So I think that's that's pretty effective. So credit where credit's due. Uh, Riley was able to kind of like win that category decisively for point leaders. So what we did was... So just to, like, give, to give some clarification, I can tell you the reason why. The Lord and Savior, Redeem Shimmick, was his, was his partner. <laughs> Very fair. Very fair. Uh, Anyways, sorry. I'll let you get back to it. That needed to be said. No, no, no. For sure. That's okay. Um, yeah, and then across the board for all of us in terms of all of our point leaders, it was either Tarasenko or Dougie Hamilton. Those are the two players for both Riley and I's teams. And for Stu's team, uh, Matt Duchesne also made uh, a couple appearances for him. Three straight, uh, actually. As well. Exactly, three straight. He's actually his highest total point getter. Uh, with 78 points uh, for Riley, he got Hamilton to produce a point a game, 82 points. Uh, and then for me, I got Hamilton up to 77 points. So not bad um in total basically how we ended up averaging everything out because we did an average of all these categories that riley mentioned earlier um riley just beat me just barely beat me his average was 72.2 points over 10 seasons so for point leaders uh, mine was 71.1 so just behind him he beat me by like literally a point um and then stew uh with 66.4 um, and then moving on, we looked at uh, playoff results. So for Riley, um, his Seattle Kraken made it to the playoffs in total four times. Um, three out of four of those runs uh, were first round exits, and then one he made he made it to the second round one time. Um, for Stu, he made it to the playoffs uh, two out of ten times, uh, one first round exit, and then one um, second round run. Uh, for me, I made it to the playoffs uh, four times, like Riley. Um, I had uh, two first-round exits, a trip to the conference finals, and then, drumroll please, yes, I managed to pick well this time. My Seattle Kraken won the Stanley Cup. So, big flex on the rest of you guys. I did manage to pick well. So, that joke did not age well for you, Riley. So, um, yeah, let's do that going, though, for future future episodes. And maybe I could become like the core win of of the of the team here, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, I'll stick to being the don't go anoint don't go anointing yourself the oracle yet. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying maybe, right? I'm just putting it out there, that's all. Um but uh yeah, so because of that lovely cup run and that run to the conference finals, I ended up having the best sort of playout result average because of that. Yeah, and then... Uh, you and I made the playoffs the same amount of times, correct? We did, we did. Yeah. Um, 
but I had two of my runs were much were deeper than the rest of you guys went. Because yeah, the furthest both of you guys made it to was the second round. Yeah. Before we like move past that, like as far as achieving my goal for the team of being fun, being you know like selling some tickets, I think making the playoffs four to ten times was really good. Having the highest offense like was really good for that. The one thing I missed out on was my power play sucked every year. But as far as the other stuff goes, I think I did achieve my goals. And if we did trade well, we did no trades through at these sims. I think I would have been able to set up a good franchise moving forward with based off my picks. So I'm, I'm not upset that I didn't win the cup. Obviously, I would have liked to, but I wasn't expecting to. Yeah, but like you know what? It's actually interesting. You had the best well for point leaders, purely point leaders. You had the best totals. Um, maybe think that you would have had the best offense. I think it's debatable. Mm-hmm. Um, but you did have the best uh, save percentage average. Um. Yeah, you you beat you beat Stu and I. Stu and I were actually like extremely close. Yeah, we yeah. were pretty much identical. So you beat us. You had a nine oh six as your average between two goalies over all the runs, and then Stu and I were at nine oh fours. You could argue if you're rounding like to just the nine oh four. Stu was a nine oh five. Yeah. Yeah. So like. No, it, yeah, you know what? But it was it was interesting. I think it was a difference in our philosophy of teams. You guys both took Carey Price. I didn't. I picked extremely cheap goalies. Both Vanacek and Kakinen only were only making seven hundred something thousand. So that was my strategy to basically spend as little as possible in net, but try to basically get the maximum value in building a tandem, and then just put the best team in front of them. That was my philosophy, and then just see how far we could go with that team. Um, and I was hoping that at least like maybe like one, maybe twice out of the 10 runs, I would have a really nice run in the playoffs and then just leave it at that. That was kind of my hope. And I was lucky enough to have that happen with the conference final appearance and then Stanley cup win, which really surprised me, but Hey, I brought joy and happiness to, uh, Seattle and I did what Vegas couldn't do. So I guess, uh, now I'm just chirping Vegas now, but, uh, Hey, I, I think you appreciate keep that. Going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, Cause you're a Sharks fan. You'd, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you had nice special teams numbers too, Evan. Uh, just a, a bump up from both Riley and I. Well, okay. We will hold on. We got to preface this. They're not actually that nice. They're better. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean that's words. true. He said it, so I, I think that was kind of one of the funny things. I took this kind of seriously because we decided to sim it. So I was like, okay, if I'm gonna really take this seriously, I want to, you know, create everything from scratch. And so I, you know, going back to what I said earlier, I basically just put the best team in front of my goalies. And so like, I really emphasized my center depth. Um, having Beno as my first line center just. Don't have to worry about much. Maybe the points you could argue he won't be prolific, but that's fine. Everything else ha- he has covered. I put him on my PK, pretty well covered there. I put him on my power play. He can win faceoffs. Um, I also had Granlin as my other center, Glenn Denning as another center, Shahan as another. So, got all guys that that have very respectable faceoff uh, win uh, numbers and metrics. So that that I think that helped me. Um, and I just surrounded those guys with all the key players. Like my blue line was extremely offensive. I had Dougie Hamilton, Tyson Berry, and Tony D'Angelo on my right side. As Riley called, said, "I have no right. I have no right D. It's all right forwards," um, which is fair. But <laughs> hey, it, it ended up working, so all good. 
You know, no, no, I, I want to. I want to take one step back. You had two and a half. Hamilton counts as half a defenseman. I think that's a bit insulting considering you call them like a beast and a stud, but I guess you can say, I mean, maybe you were saying that from a scoring standpoint, but fair enough. Like, I think the best defensive player on, on your team was probably Redeem Shimmick. Wow, you just did Philip Deno like so dirty. Yeah, let it be. For the Lord and Savior, I will make this exception this one time. As you should. Fair enough. Fair enough. As you should. Fair enough. Do you have anything you want to say about about your team or about anyone's team? Well, just looking at some of the numbers here, I think I had the best individual goaltending season. With a 930. Uh, with a 918. 918. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had two. Almost, pretty much a 919. <laughs> I had two above 9.10. You also had two above 9.10. Evan's yeah. best was a 9.13. And notice how each of these years when we had good goaltending, like the best years of our goaltending led to playoffs, except for one for Stu, when he had a 9-13 and missed. Yeah, that was brutal. I mean, I had a 9-14 and missed too, so I, yeah, it wasn't perfect. Yeah, but I think usually if you looked at it, our best, the best year of our franchises each correspond, tended to correspond with some of our best goaltending. In Evans, it actually corresponded with his best uh, power play. And, pen- mm, and yeah, best power play. I'm looking at my special teams right now. Um, they were pretty good. The balance was good. Mm. The, the power plays weren't exceptional for like two, two out of three. But like the cup, the cup winning year at a 20, 21.9% power play. And an 80, Almost 22%. Yeah, and an 82.7% uh, penalty kill. But were, were a like a slightly decent ways over 100, which is a good metric for a special team. So, and then the goaltending yeah, those- a 903 or 904 if you round up. Isn't that great, but hey, it got the job done. So I'm not going probably both, to... Probably both your special teams would have been like top 10, top 15. Well, what I thought exactly. was interesting the best on the team. Your PK that year was actually below your average. Uh, actually, yeah, that, that, that is interesting to point that out. It's, it's true. I mean, besides my horrendous first year for the PK, <laughs> at seventy-six uh, percent. Yeah, but my power play was twenty-one point three percent, so that's pretty good. You know, it happens. I don't. I don't really care because I ended up winning the cup. So, have it over sure. you guys. Big flex over you guys for this particular challenge and competition that we had. But uh, yeah, we'll see yeah. What, what happens moving we, forward. We did also preface that well with doing this that. You set your goals, your own goals of what you're trying to turn out this this expansion team to, because every expansion team is only offered the players in front of them, so they can they have to pick up direction with it. And the biggest issue I have taken with Ron Francis, and then you guys can kind of say what you want to say about this sort of thing, but is he failed to take players that he could liquefy into big assets. Like if he took Vladimir Tarasenko and had no intention of playing him, he could he could turn that into a good amount of like pieces back that will be on his team for years to come. I still liked the idea of him taking Carey Price and ransoming him back to the Montreal Canadiens, but apparently the league stomped that one out. Not too surprising, as Gary Bettman doesn't like to have a ton of fun. He's totally fine with capsule convention, but as soon as it comes to picking someone and getting value for them in a trade, that's horrible. 
Yeah, no ransoming players back to their original teams, except if they're Vanacek. Yeah, that one was exactly... That didn't happen, did it? Oh, wait, it did. Mm. Another goaltender, too. There you go. Mm. <laughs> he had his cake and ate it, too, Batman. So, any other uh, wrap-up things we want to say about this? Just the, just the fun challenge, putting it all together. I like my lines. I know we disagreed about stuff, Riley, when you, when you looked at them after. I was pretty happy with the result. I think I, I built a pretty good team. I mean, look, granted, I guess the little asterisk you can say is we sim this in NHL. So, like, you know, you take it for what you will and certain ratings and stuff. Certain players are helpful. I think picks probably would have been slightly altered, right, if we didn't do the Well, you're Right? But I, I think I definitely, like, I think it was a bit skewed for me. Just a tad bit. Yeah, so as we were picking, I, I picked first without knowing the overalls. And then as the other two were picking, they would ask me, hey, what's this person's rating? Or they're rating at this, their face-off rating. So I did lose out a little bit on that. But I was fine with it because I was like, I have my team. I'm done. I could have changed it if I wanted to, but I'd already locked in. So, I mean, thank you for that because I got away with some really, really good value picks. Like Look, Glenn Denning's a great example of that. 92 face-offs, just fantastic. I put him on my third line. You could just win every face-off besides Deno. Granlin was surprisingly very good, too. Um, and then Shahan was just a really solid physical fourth-line center, which was fine. So, again, kind of referencing back to having really strong center depth. Also, like, the way I built my team was I, I, I wanted to have speed. Like, I wanted to have a little bit of everything so that I could play like, any which way the sim needed to maximize you know flexibility for my team or however however it needed to play but i mean you know the main takeaway from this is nhl whoever what future owners whoever wants to expand evan and i are available don't hire Stu. he won none of the categories <laughs> evan and i both have a reasoning behind the way we'd run our team evan won a cup in his first year i found a way to make my team fun make the playoffs quite a bit have quite a good offense so if you want to bring in good revenue i'm your guy I'm a journalist. Don't let don't let me run your team. Oh God! <laughs> you know, I actually found it really interesting that you guys were saying, you know, when you were, you know, um, going to your teams, all of the market and the, the like, this like, wh- what players would you be able to sell tickets with? To me, my underlying philosophy in this was, I'm gonna put the best team I can can out there using like the cap in whatever way I need to, and they will hopefully be a very competitive team and that will win. And then that in and of itself will draw people in and create a loyal, you know, following and fan base. That was kind of my underlying philosophy behind it. Instead of just focusing on, you know, like bringing Carey Price, don't get me wrong. I'm a Habs fan, right? Carey Price is awesome, but I didn't want to sacrifice that much of my cap for that type of player because I knew I was bringing in other players like Tarasenko, I don't know, Taylor Hall, you could say, I don't know, maybe like Dougie Hamilton. Dougie Hamilton. Right, like, you know, you, you could probably like market them in a, in a, in a particular way. Um, and yeah, so that was kind of my my approach. And it, you know, I was lucky enough that it paid off. So cool, I'll Dude, take a win. Believe, can you believe this guy, Stu? He says he has the best team and didn't take Jumbo. You know, <laughs> you know I, I, I went through... He might not have any Hall of Famers, but Riley definitely does. Yeah, I'm guaranteed a Hall of Fame player. Like, next? Cool, but, you know, I have a Stanley Cup, so you're a Hall of Fame player. No, you you have a tenth of a Stanley Cup. But you know what, still, it's a a cup. Regardless, you guys don't have any of that, so I'll take that. 
Speaking of Hall of Fame players, uh, are we ready to move to the news and notes section? Take us away. As I mentioned there, Hall of Fame players, the Montreal Canadiens recently made a coaching change, bringing in Martin Saint-Louis. Previously had how much experience as a, as a head coach? Wait, Stu, can, I, can you tag me in for a second? Riley? They're making moves on the short term. Lovely. I, I love it. An interim five foot six coach. Come on, he's, five six. he's like five seven, five eight. No, he's like five four. He's listed. He said he's five six. Okay, say so, okay, I'll I'll stick with five six. If Marty said it's five six, I'll I'll say five six then. Hey there folks. Sorry for the delay. Uh we just had a bit of technical difficulties. On to talking about the impact that Martin Saint-Louis has had for the short king, Cole Caulfield. On the day that Cole Caulfield was drafted, Stuart and I were with, with another friend of his. Uh, which friend was it? It was with Kevin. With Kevin. And we were all together, and I was saying, oh, Caulfield's going to go now at like three. Didn't go. Okay, he'll go, he'll go at four. Didn't go at four. Okay, he'll go at five. And when he got picked by the Habs, I said, wow. A 60-goal scorer, a future 60-goal scorer, drops to 14. 14? 15th. Sorry? 15th. Yeah, to 15. I'm calling it here on the show. Bring this back when he retires, and I'll be right. At some point in his career, I doubt it's going to be in a Habs jersey, he's going to score 60. Hot take. You know what? It's not really a hot take. Unless we, we do the rebuild properly, but, you know, we'll see. Wait, which part is the hot take? That he won't do it for the Habs, or that he won't do it at all? Uh, the Habs part, but I'm saying it at, from a Habs fan perspective. If you, if like basically you say that now, within like what's happened over the last like 10, 12 seasons, that's not a hot take at all. Um, I'm just going for it. I hope that this team rebuilds properly and uh, you know, they can put together an actual roster that can freaking score goals like other teams can. Well, and it'll be interesting to see if they can fill out their uh, Tampa Bay North status as they brought in Vincent LeCavalier into the front into the front office as well. Um, we're just waiting when they're going to hire Brad Richards and Nikolai Kabibulin. Uh, those hires are apparently on the way. As we move on to the next piece of news, uh, Tuka Rask announced his retirement a little ways back. We want to. Wish our best to Tuca as he retires. Uh, fantastic goaltender. Uh, always sad when a former Leaf player retires. Uh, also had to drop him in fantasy. A little stat that he was the most wins by a Leaf drafted goaltender. Yes, he was drafted by the Leafs. In fact, I'm often reminded of. And... Uh, you guys have anything, any memories, anything you want to share about Tuka Rask? Uh, one quick thing. Go ahead, Evan. One quick thing is uh, he's actually, I believe you guys can stat check this, but I think it's true. He's fourth all time with his uh, career average um, save percentage. I believe it sits at like 920 or 921. That's fourth all time. So that's, that's, that's pretty impressive um, for any goalie. Yeah, you go ahead, Riley. Yeah, so also I'll add in, like, with that save percentage thing, I've heard that it goes up by, like, six points uh, after he breaks a stick over his net. 
<laughs> yeah, biggest, remember, core memory, remember the good old days. Yeah, my biggest core memory of him was him being a spaz. That's what everyone on, on the hockey teams would refer to him as. Like, oh, did you see his freak out this game? Like, blah, blah, blah. And, like, it, it kind of, like, it's a, a bit of a meme, but it also kind of sucks for the guy. Like, he loses a lot of respect for how good of a, like, hockey player he is for not being able to keep his emotions fully in check. I don't know how fair that is. He did a good job of shedding that that moniker later in his career as yeah, he so progressed. I still think it, there was a bit of like that dripping off of him a little bit. Like by even now when he retires, like I still have a small like my core memory of him was him smashing a stick while getting pulled. Like and instead of going to the bench, he went to the dressing room. Like that sort of thing. I so like it's in there. Right, I know that's not who he is or whatever, and that's not what he wants to be known as. But it's it's still there; it's relevant, you know. And it sucks that it is. Yeah, it certainly does. He gets yeah overridden by his reputation a little bit. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the next spot on our news and notes list, uh, the Edmonton Oilers made a change in their head coach job changes as they fired Dave Tippett. Uh, and bring up Jay Woodcroft uh, from the American Hockey League. He has gone 5-0 and as their new uh, head coach, uh, which is pretty amazing. Uh, it set a, some sort of record for the best start to an Oilers head coach job. Uh, we'll see what that does for them this year. It seems like they had to make some sort of change. And they didn't seem to be acquiring a goaltender, so firing the coach is their next best thing. Some interesting stats here. Uh, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins' 12th coach in 11 seasons. Uh, this will be the fourth in seven seasons for McDavid. Um, the Edmonton Oilers had eight coaches through their first 29 seasons. So from 79 until 80, or 79, 80 until uh, 09, or 08, 09. And then this is the fifth of uh, seven Canadian teams who have replaced uh, a coach in the last 12 months. Uh, that includes uh, the Winnipeg Jets replacing Paul Maurice, um, as well as, I believe, Montreal. Montreal only counts once, even though they've replaced Claude Julien and both Claude Julien and Dominic Ducharme recently. But uh, interesting sort of stat there at the end for the the state of all of the Canadian teams. Uh, Haven't seen a Stanley Cup in Canada since 93. The closest we got there was that big run from the... I would say the closest we got was the close was that run in 2011 from Vancouver. I know that Montreal was in the final. I did not think it was going to be close against Tampa. I didn't even think they were going to get past Vegas, but they did. Good for them. Uh, anything else you guys wanted to to add on Edmonton? Yeah. I was just a little surprised by the firing for one reason, and that was this is Ken Holland's first ever time firing a head coach. He has never fired a head coach. He often just waits till their contract leaves and doesn't extend. That's been his way for firing, or he waits for them to retire. Those have been his and, two options. 
And Tippett only had it and only had till the end of this year on his contract. So it seemed like we were headed towards another one of those. Yeah, he'll get, he'll get the end of the year. We'll call it quits then. It's amicable, but this this might be the end for for Tippett, to be honest. Because I, if I'm a GM, I'm looking at it and I go, "Hmm, you made a team look terrible with two of the best two of the best three players in the league." He's also a failed head coach with Arizona previously. So once you've gotten two That's chances, awful. once you've gotten two chances in the NHL. Usually there's not a chance for a third, even though we know that they often do retreads, but uh, usually two, two times is probably your, your, your chances are up. <laughs> Evan, anything to add? You good on that? Yeah, not, not much to add. I think the only thing with like Ken Holland is it's interesting. He seems to be pretty loyal. Um, in a business that can be rather ruthless, because as competitive as it is, right? Because the big objective is to is to win, really. At the end of the day, and um, yeah, just really find that interesting. How like Tibbet's the only coach he's ever fired in his ten and years like, in the HLGM. I just want to like note, like from my perspective of looking at that, what does that mean for him? Does he think he's crazily on the hot seat then? If like this is he broke his pattern for the first time ever, so does this mean that he thinks there's a lot of pressure on him to, to to turn this thing around and make the playoffs, or he's out, or do you think it's just it's time he needed to do something like, and he chose to do that on his own? I think it's a bit of both. I think the fact that I think that's something interesting. Just to I mean, just to answer that, but also link in a fact that was raised is the fact that five out of seven Canadian teams have replaced the head coach in the last twelve months. I think Canadian teams and their fan bases are much more impatient than other franchises. Like, I know there are more American franchises, but, like, I, I, I deeply feel that, like, Canadian fan bases are a lot more impatient, um, given that, like, you know, <laughs> hockey in Canada is just such a big thing. It's Canada's sport, really. And so people are... Much well, more, people are, Okay, well, okay, well... All right, you know what? We're going to debate that later. All right. Go back to Jersey. I'm in Jersey right now. Okay, so what, why would I? Okay, that was just horrible. Anyway, um, yeah, so it's just it's just about fan, fan bases are, are a lot more impatient, and I think that um, Holland is aware of that. He feels that from the media. I think the media kind of amplifies that onto management, onto teams. And on top of the fact that, like, like you said, Riley, I mean, they have two of the best players in the world. They have McDavid, they have Dreisaitl, and for them to not win or not really even make the playoffs or not be competitive at all in the playoffs and just have first-round exits, it's, it's embarrassing. And, and like he's going to be out of a job, pretty much, right? I mean, having those two level players and not being able to build around them, that is a failure of management. The two of them have also looked very much so pissed off and annoyed with media during the year and anytime that that happens with your two star players i think that sort of coaching is your th- is is going to be the thought because you're you're committed to Connor McDavid with the the contract you gave him and you're going to be i think you want to be committed to to Leon Draisaitl when his next deal comes up um so you better keep him happy <laughs> 
Would you trade Leon Drysaddle? You fi- if you figure you're not going to sign an extension, or an extension looks absolutely ridiculous. Like, I have a question. If it, Let's say, Evan, I want you to be Vancouver for a second, okay? But you're heading to Vancouver. Okay. Uh, let me know when you're there. So I'm Vancouver's GM, right? Yeah. Okay, sure, go ahead. Hey, um, I would like to offer you Leon Dreisaitl. In return, I would like Brock Besser, Elias Patterson, and Quinn Hughes. I'm saying no to that. That's three core players, or at least two core players right now for me. Interesting. Yeah. I still think Petey, I still think Petey can turn it around, and Quinn Hughes, despite what people say about the defense, he still puts up offense. It's still three core players that are doing terribly. Oh, no, for sure, right? And, and like, you know, I, I, I still think that they can turn it Which around. have looked better with Bruce Boudreaux. Yep, they have looked better, and I and I'm gonna I want to give that time if I'm the GM of Vancouver, right? Which you said in this scenario. So I gave you my my opinion, and you know people can disagree, and that's cool. Because my thought was just like with that one, it was the first trade that came to head was if you're trading Leon Drysaddle, I want three star players or like two and a half star players back. Okay, but the but the other the other aspect of what you just said there is the captain, right? If we want to be actually like fully realistic, is the yeah. cap, right? Because like. Yeah. PD is making uh, his new contracts that kicks in next year, but even then, it's like he's in the sevens. Hughes is in the sevens. That's like fourteen, high fourteens, high mid mid high fourteens, if not pre- pretty much fifteen. Then you throw Brock Besser in there, you're throwing another five Nothing. five million zero. He's an RFA at the end of the season. Okay, but you get what I'm trying to say here, though, right? Even just yeah, like, yeah. initially up front. But yeah, yeah. I, I get I get what you're trying to say. Leon Dreisaitl, although amongst those players in terms of pure quality and what you're gonna get, yeah, Dry Dreisaitl's the best player. He's shown that he's proven that so far. And all right, I have one other trade in mind. So put your head in the in this GM space of New Jersey. That's interesting. Okay, I want Jack Hughes, Ty Smith, and a first round pick. No, Jack Hughes is def- I think Jack Hughes is gonna get better. He's still extremely young. Better than Dreisaitl. I, 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 I think you can build around I think you can build around Jack Hughes. Better than Dry Saddle. That's your that's the point the stand you're making? You're you're saying another first round pick. I still think New Jersey can still weaponize another first round pick and bring in another player. I'm I'm curious to see what like Bolts does for them as well moving forward. Right? They still and I, I still think I still think Ty Smith will will get better. At the very minimum, Ty Smith is going to be a really good top 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 four defenseman, right? Maybe more offensive. I don't know, but like I still think he's going to be pretty good for them. And I think you have some good building blocks there. That might seem foolish to other people, but I still think the best is yet to come for Jack Hughes. I I I, I wouldn't want to give up that asset personally if I was New Jersey. All right, final question then: Do you think Leon Drysaddle is tradable? I do. I think. I think. I think the main thing, and in this example, is it's the it's the GM philosophy, right? How they see the team moving forward, right? Because if I know for a fact that oh, I got these X Y Z prospects in my system that I like, I'm like fully believe that they're going to come up, and you know what I mean that they have a decent shot at making a difference on my NHL team. Then sure. Right, I think it makes sense to, to pull the trigger on trades like the, what you just offered in both scenarios with Vancouver and, and New Jersey. But from my particular standpoint of giving up all these multiple pieces that I still believe to to have impact moving forward, 
I just think it for me it was too much to give up. Like I said, Drysaddle is the best player in the trade, and from, from that standpoint of oh, whoever gets the best player wins the trade. Sure, maybe you say like I I'm wrong, right, for not accepting those trades. From my point of view, from a team building standpoint, which which is the way I looked at it as a GM, I don't want to take out multiple building blocks out of my team um, that were really high picks. Like, for example, so then, with the, with the Queen Hughes for uh, Elias Patterson in Vancouver, for example. And in the so case of Jack Hughes, into being the untreated. entire year to get the first overall pick to get Jack Hughes. So. You just described why he's untradeable, then. Yeah. I don't think he's untradeable. I think that what you set as a as a bar on that first trade, I think that that's like that's asking for that's asking for the the moon, um, which like obviously with a former Hart Trophy player, you should ask for the moon. Other, uh, you should ask for the moon. Otherwise, you get left with Adam Larson. <laughs> but I think that you look at the if you're looking at precedent. You start, You look at the Jack Eichel trade plus a little bit. A little bit? You Are you crazy? You're saying that a healthy Leon Dreisaitl is the same value as an injured Jack Eichel? No, that's why I'm saying you up the value probably... Significantly. Like, that's a full uh, difference. And Jack Eichel's never won an, an award. I'm yeah, that's comparable. No, I I say I think that that's the starting point of the trade, where you start to where you if you're Edmonton you start to listen. I don't think you're accepting anything at that though. And that's kind of my point at what what I meant when he said he talked himself into being untradeable, like Evan did, was like, oh, I wouldn't give up multiple trading pieces for him. Well, if I'm Edmonton, I'm not going to trade him unless I get multiple assets back so now you're in a loop of it, he's untradeable that, like, I, mean, that, I, mean, look, I, I think that's fair but you guys could see from my standpoint right if i'm the gm and i view these pieces well, what's your trade then wait, what's give the me, trade give, if i was those teams or if i was just any gm to, to make yourself like a, tr- a trade that you think could go through not necessarily will but could go through in your eyes <laughs> i mean I, I don't know man like Give me a second here. So, Stu, you, you can go ahead. I'll Wait, back to this. Well, well, Evan, thanks. Stu, what did you, you, you mentioned the first trade. Would you accept the second trade? Because now you're pairing up Dougie Hamilton with, uh, with Leon Dreisaitl. Well, and I was, thinking, I was thinking about Dougie Hamilton and sort of how much of a, a window you have with Dougie Hamilton to winning the cup. And I think that, like, Leon Dreisaitl moves you so much closer. Than holding your cards the where they are, uh, which I I don't like. I don't claim to have any inside information on New Jersey. I haven't read a ton about New Jersey, but I don't know when you sign when they signed Dougie Hamilton. It kind of seemed like a more let's move towards competing than we want this re than we want to spend time on this rebuild. So you're saying you'd pull the trigger on that? I think I would. Like, I think obviously it's it's tough because you don't know what like if you're if you're doing that trade tomorrow, you don't know what 
the next deal on dry saddle is going to look like in a year and a half or whatever. But you do have cap space. But yes, you will have cap space. Oh, uh, Stu, how about this? Swap out the first round pick for Kevin Ball. (laughs) Deal. So they just got Taylor Hall back. (laughs) Deal. All right. um, We should probably keep moving here. Oh, wait, hold on. Um, Evan, if Evan I finish this, this debate. I know it wasn't supposed to be here, but this is this is a good one. Okay, okay. So yeah, well, right, I'm just trying to keep my I'm keeping an eye on the clock. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say this quickly. So, okay, you accepted it from a New Jersey standpoint, right? So you would trade Jack Hughes, Ty Smith, and that first, right, for Dry Yeah. Well, we 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 changed it to Kevin Ball, but yes. Okay, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Okay, regardless. Okay, okay. I'm just gonna address it as the original one because that's that's what I answered. Okay, the only reason, okay, the other part of it is that I look at the window of contention. Dry Settle's 26 right now. He has four years left on his contract. That brings him to 30 years old. Do you think in this time that you can win with him? Because if you don't think you can, it's wasted, in my opinion. You're getting up long term assets that are not, that, that are, that fit your window of contention much better. So that's also sort of like the, the rationale of like what I was thinking too. It's specifically for New Jersey because there's still, there's, they, they still have a lot to improve. Everywhere so, across the roster, so I don't think it may. I don't think it makes sense from their standpoint. Look, don't get me wrong. Dreisaitl is an amazing player. He's a world class player. But from their from the standpoint of, it's great that you have a great player. But it's like if it hampers your ability to 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 win overall because the rest of your team isn't good. Yeah, you have a superstar. Don't get me wrong, but you don't have the rest of the team around him. It's just it just goes back to what Edmonton sort of is. You have these amazing players in McDavid and Dreisaitl, but you don't have the right supporting cast for them. I'm going to flip the coin back at you then. So you're saying that they have, they currently have the window of Dougie Hamilton, who's 29. They will win with Dougie Hamilton. I mean, that, 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 that's on them. I'm not, look, in this, in this hypothetical scenario, I'm the new GM. I'm not the one that freaking signed him. So no, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with, going to go with what i got right with what i'm given so far and assess the value of my assets and then then figure out the best game plan moving forward of who i want to keep and who i you know what i mean like you're gonna waste Dougie hamilton is your plan you can get rid of him if i need to i doubt it it's a hard contract to trade for sure for sure as a, as a sharks fan basically move a player like that unless you, you guys can see what i'm saying though right if he's still look, if he's still in his yeah. window, if I still believe he's in his window uh, of still being a productive player, and that coincides with the window that I see with everything, then, you know, it might make sense. Because let's say he's what thirty two. This year, Brad, it's not that bad of a line. Like Brad's been really good. Well, he's been their best player this year, right? In terms of in terms of pure production, he's basically a point a game, if not like point over a game. Regardless, you know they still have pieces that still need to come up and emerge. Their goaltending still needs to be figured out. They need to have that stud in net. I think that's that's probably one of the biggest pieces that New Jersey's missing right now too. Yeah, no, I, I I'm gonna stick to my guns, stick to that. Um, but I you know I, I see it from your eyes point of view. But again, that's my own philosophy. If I was a GM, so wait, do do you have the the answer of a trade that you would do? Not necessarily. Again, any team. I just want to know where you put the value out or how you could make a trade go through. Oh, for for a dry, I mean, yeah, I think I think like I can understand where Steve was coming from before when he said Eichel. You mean that sort of level? You know what I mean? Very similar level player, right? At least you know, like elite first line center type player, right? I think you'd have to start there and then. When full, when fully healthy, I would put them both in sort of 
the same. Yeah, I think they're like, in the same probably. category in terms of being in the same category. That's one thing, but the the years oh. within the same category, Drysdale is definitely higher because of what he's been able to achieve and stuff. But yeah, I think that's a, that's a good starting point. So I think I would sort of preface any sort of trade and like like how Stu kind of said that, and then go from there in in terms of like what exactly does the other party want for you know for Drysdale and do I have that? That's kind of where I would I would go. I think that makes sense. I don't want to say anything because I don't really have anything in mind in particular right now. Thought of one, and I think you guys would both say no, but I, like, what about Gibson and Zegers? If I'm Anaheim, I don't think I can say yes to that. Yeah, I don't know. I just think Trevor. Oh wow! I mean, that's. I don't even know if they have anyone in. I don't even think they have anyone in net too. Yeah. It's yeah, scary. that's like, the hard part is you can't trade Drossel and get a goalie. It's that's not possible. It's just weird. Anyway, yeah, I'm gonna say no. I, I, people might say I'm very conservative. It just, I, you know what I mean. It's just, I still can't believe the like amount of slander you guys are putting on Leon Drossel right no, now. I, 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 hey, I, I said he's a world class player, right? You know, yeah, I, no, I acknowledge player. Hey. From a organizational standpoint, about well, I'm running a team, and I and and look at the end of the day, it's not the best player that wins; it's the best freaking team that wins. I think everyone can agree with me on that. Okay, like no, Vegas disagrees with you. They go out and get the best player. Vegas, any is, chance stupid. Vegas is stupid. Their plan is going to okay. implode on them. If they win the cup this year, I'll, I'll eat my words. I don't care. Right? Cool. They just pull a Tampa Bay 2.0. Cool. Right? But at what cost? Because honestly, they're going to have to pull some miracle and pull a rabbit out, out of their own hat yeah. to basically they're starting it. to look like they're starting to they're starting to venture into San, or um Las Vegas Los Angeles rather Los Angeles Rams territory where they've spent all of the future on winning now and if they don't win now there ain't much of a future I mean they still have the nears in and Vegas Eddie Benoit no, is in Seattle. He's in Seattle. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I said the wrong. Yeah. They traded every yeah, traded first round draft pick they've ever had. Well. Peyton Krebs is in that Buffalo trade for Eichel. Yep. Einstrom is in Ottawa. Yep. Literally every one of the top draft. Oh, Cody Glass is in, is in Nashville, Which, right? Or Philly, whatever just, it is, with the no patch. That the Brandstrom trade, they, they won that trade like by a mile. Oh, yeah. They did. But, like, at the time, it looked way worse. No, for sure, for sure. But I'm just saying, though, overall, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're really gonna feel the pain after this whole thing falls apart for them. Yeah, they really are. I mean, you know, well, you want, again, for having, so for having, for having the balls to all in. The best player in the league, according to you guys, is on their team. I got, no, I, I didn't find. No. It. Oh my god, we're not. It was this? You're, it was you're being so hyperbolic player. about this. Well, it's just, I, I don't know, like, I, like, the idea, it's kind of like saying trading for Eric Carlson now is the same as trading for him four years ago, like, injuries don't matter, like, they do, and, like, I, I, Jack Eichel is, like, maybe, currently, he's not a top 10 player to me. It's hard to call someone a top 10 player when they haven't played hot, when they, like, have played four games in the last year and a half or something, and, well, that I, pref- I prefaced that whole thing with when healthy. Yeah, yeah, but I let's get back to that. His what career high is eighty nine points, not on pace for one hundred and forty in a shortened season, and actually putting up above his career high in a shortened season. 
Yeah, but like, but it's also, yeah, but it's also Eichel, tough because... Eichel's not playing on the same team as Connor McDavid. Yeah, but also, Dreisaitl's just built different, man. There's not there's not many players in the last couple seasons that have had, like, that have been as prolific as Leon Dreisaitl. Okay? There's not many players that go head-to-head with McDavid and, like, you know, w- like win, you know what I mean? Like, outproduce him or outplay him in, enough to basically win the award, like, win an award against something. Like, geez, like, we all saw, like, what... Dreisaitl could do without McDavid in the lineup, and like my goodness, right? What a again, what a world class player! Like we're like Stu and I are literally just say Jack Eichel because Jack Eichel is an elite player. We can all agree, right? Leon Dreisaitl is I'm an just, elite player. Like, right? so that's just like, starting like point. Eichel is disagree with that. Eichel he's is, player. He's, he's in the tier above that. Eichel is like the best player that has been moved recently. That's why I say that's where you start looking at a trade package. Because that's how NHL general managers often work, is they look for comparables. And the comparable trade to start with is a Jack Eichel move. Okay, fine. Here, I'm going to throw a trade at you. You really want to push this. Here, I'm New York. Give me Leon Dreisaitl. I'll give you Artemi Panarin and Alexis Lafreniere. Would you take that deal? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll take uh, I'll take Leon Dreisaitl then. I save Cap. He's also younger. Cool. I get rid of I get rid of Alexis Lafreniere if I don't believe in him. All right, that's it. Done. Actually, wait. I want to, I want to go back on that. Oh, I the trade here. Panarin's older too. He's on. He's going to be on the wrong side of thirty afterward. That, that I mean, that's on you for yeah. accepting the trade. I mean, sure. No, wait. I, uh, Alexis I want, Lafreniere. I want Keandre Miller as well, man. I mean, I don't know. It's just it's just like like you know. That's that's like if we're gonna throw like if we're really gonna be like swing really big here, then that's that's the type of trade. It's really not something I would ordinarily think of doing. But I mean, I don't know. I feel like the discussion has like elevated, like raised its or reached a point of like pushing me to throw something out like this. There's more I want to say, but let's move on for now. <laughs> All right, uh, Riley. Just because we're running short on time, do you want? to rant about Marshawn, or do you want to rant about Olympics? You can have one one of those two rants. I'll do the Marshawn, and because we're planning on doing an Olympic podcast, I'll save my rant for that. Am I starting? Am I going now? Yeah, go ahead. Little tease, little tease for our Olympic pod, our Olympic international theme podcast, which will be coming out soon-ish, we hope. Uh, but I pass the floor to Riley to chat about uh, Sir Brad Marchand, who's got suspended six games recently. Uh, he tried appealing that suspension, and it was upheld. I pass the floor to you, Riley. So I just want to say six games is nowhere near enough. And my reasoning behind this is... You look at anyone else who pulls anything similar to what Marchand pulls, and I would like to just say, Marchand is now the most suspended player. So I'm actually going to ask a question to you, Stu. Do you remember when Artemi Panarin got body slammed by Tom Wilson? I do. And what what did you want to be the suspension? You wanted him out, right? I wanted the book thrown at him. Like, I wanted... I think it was, like, we were getting close to the play. It was, like, close to the playoffs. So, I and, like, near, there were a couple of regular season games. I wanted to see him miss, like, 
two regular season games and three playoff games. Which, um, according to Brian Burke, every playoff game is, is a multiple of how many games you're supposed to be suspended. And the further it goes into the playoffs, the more it means. If you get suspended two games in the final, that's like a seven, eight game suspension in the regular season. So Stu's kind of saying somewhere around like a 10 game ish suspension. Is that about right, Stu? Yeah, about 10 games was what I thought. Right. So I want to say with Brad Marchand, it started in the warm up. He went over and he stopped Tristan Jari from making a fan, a little kid fan's night by knocking the puck away that he's going to throw over the glass. Follow that up with on the next play, he punches them in the head. And then, or sorry, yeah, he punches him in the head and then high sticks, makes a turnaround to high stick him. So when you're looking at the intent of the play, he intended to punch him. You can see that. Then he went back for more. That's another intent. If we just counted those as two separate games, those happened in two separate plays, two separate games, those could be two different suspensions. So the idea that we're willing to say, oh, Tom Wilson's a dirty player, throw the book at him, but now because he's a star... If we're saying the same rules of, oh, he's been suspended before, it should at least be a 10-game suspension, minimum, based off the amount of intent that's shown, based off the acts that he did, and according to what actually like, spurred him to be so mad, it was just Jari saying, like, what about that save, huh? Like, I did great on that one, like, pumping his own brakes. Every, a lot of players do that all the time. They're trying to get under each other's skin. You gotta control yourself. Like, Martian at this point, is a veteran, has been for a while at this point, has been suspended a bunch, and the league's just letting him do it, letting him walk away. Scott free. I don't have anything really I disagree with. I think that he's a guy that has been suspended multiple times. He, it, it was very clear in intent on that play. He probably deserved the book, and six games was probably not enough. I'll take that as a no. Stu? Sorry? I asked if Evan had anything else to add and didn't get a response, so moving oh, on to you, Stu. Oh, I, did, I didn't hear. I don't know why. The okay, sorry. No, I, I, mean, else? I mean, the only, okay, look, the only thing is, like, and, like, for Martian, it's, like, thank goodness he's a, he's, like, an elite player in the league in terms of what he's able to, like, produce, right? Like, offensively. I'm like, were, were he not that? I mean, this guy would just be like, what a joke of a fucking player. Like, I'm like cursing a bit here, but just like, it's just, it's just, it's just so, so childish. It's, it's like, like grow up, man. Just, just grow up. Like, look, this was, this is, okay, look, I'm going to read you this quote based on Marshan's appeal for the six game suspension. Mr. Martian testified only that his punch was prompted by Mr. Jari's comment after making the save. How about that effing save? And then, like, are you serious? You're an adult. Like, I'm sure you've been shirked your entire life, especially being in the league as long as you have. All the antics that you've, and all the BS that you pulled, you know? Like, that is going to be the thing that triggers you. I just, I just think that they just, it's, like I said, it's just a joke and grow up. That's it. That's all I have to say, and I agree with everything you guys said so far. Perfect. All right. Uh, moving on to the next uh, no- note on our news and notes. Uh, Sean Avery, ECHL player, uh, signs a contract with Solar Bears of the ECHL. Uh, and then 
George Larock posted on Twitter saying, Hey, any ECHL teams want to pay me for one game to play against Sean Avery? And the Florida Everblades of that league said, Yep, I'll do it. I've seen a number of people say, What year is it again? A 41-year-old Sean Avery and George Larock playing professional hockey? Sure. Sounds ring, about ring. right. <laughs> ring, 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 ring. Uh, anyways, uh, and then we wanted to congratulate uh, wait, 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 Finland on their uh, gold medal. Uh, the the Russians on their silver and Slovakia on their bronze in men's hockey, their first ever medal in hockey. Uh, and then over on the women's side, uh, Canada, congratulations on your gold. USA stuck at silver and uh, Finland for bronze over there on the women's side. And last but not least on our notes today, uh, the Arizona Coyotes are going to be playing hockey, NHL hockey at a college rink. What do we think of that, boys? Gulp. <laughs> it's just a joke of an NHL franchise. Like, I mean, like, okay, for, for our listeners... Um, if you do have a subscription to The Athletic, you should check out the piece that was written about uh, the ownership group of the Arizona Coyotes. I think that was really insightful. It was a really well-done investigative piece. I think Stu can speak to that, being in sports journalism. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see how the rest of the league picks up the slack from Arizona. Yeah, I just want to mention, like, I'm coming from a business background of where is their cash flow going to come from? They're not making any gate money. They don't they no longer get to rent out their arena for events throughout the year when they're on on like trips or throughout the summer or venues or whatever. Like they barely even get a merch store. They're mainly going to all online e-commerce and they barely have any foot traffic to begin with. So they're going to have a really tough time scraping by. I think this is probably looking to be the end. As far as how, like, I don't know how they'll make enough money to pay Clayton Keller's contract, to be honest. I think they're going to end up with one player on their team. And uh, I just wanted to say one thing about the Sean Avery, uh, LaRoc... Wait, who is it? Sorry? Who? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, Georges LaRoc. He's a yeah. former NHL uh, enforcer. Really tough player when he played. So I just need to know, is, uh, is, is Champ there? Because uh, that'll be decided this Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> I mean, George Lorac would just absolutely destroy Sean Avery. Unless, like, people... If people want to debate me on that, feel free to go ahead. But I genuinely believe George Lorac... Dude, the guy's still, like, ripped and everything. And he's, like... He's been retired for a long time now. All right. And that was the, the final note. Correct, Stu? Then we will say, thank you for listening. Have yourselves a good week. And let's hope for more hockey news, because I like talking about it. With you there. Thank you for listening, everyone. Hey there, if you want to interact with us more, give us suggestions, give us comments, give us concerns, or whatever you're looking to, to get into touch with us for, feel free to email us at housewivesofhockey at gmail.com.